All right. We have been listening to President Biden as President Biden was getting uh, was giving us information. I want to react to a couple of the things that President Biden said very quickly as this president was talking about what his plan is to do to respond to the gas prices going up as quickly as they are. He said a couple of different things that I thought that I found to be very interesting. Um, I want you to hear. A couple of comments. First of all, what he said, Americans, about it's kind of a national security issue. This is about evil dictators dictating our prices. As you've heard me say before, I grew up in a family like many of you, where the price of a gallon of gasoline went up. It was discussion at the kitchen table. Our family budgets, your family budgets to fill a tank. None of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war. And that's absolutely the truth. That's the national security issue of energy independence. So he uses the phrase energy independence, but it's how he uses it. Yes, a building a made in America clean energy future will help safeguard our national security. Yes, will help us tackle climate change. Yes, it's going to help us ensure that Americans create millions of good paying jobs for generations to come. So if we're if, if having clean energy independence or clean energy gives us energy independence, why doesn't using petroleum based products like we are still beholden to and having being energy independent in that world matter just as much? And it does. So we had uh, we had Patrick DeHaan today from Gas Buddies and talking about this release of the strategic oil reserve. He said it may backfire. It may be counterproductive. We'll see. I hope not. But we shall see. But it is not part of a long term plan. So what the president said in his two pronged plan is, number one, increase supply by using the strategic oil reserve, a million barrels a day for the, you know, for a couple of months, because he said oil companies can't just increase production overnight, that they some they takes it takes weeks, not days or months, not days to increase production. But he sets up a battle by talking about the $80 billion in profits in the oil companies. He has set up this battle, again, demonizing these oil companies. When you listen to and you listen to the people that talk about the financing for exploration, they want to charge them for for leases or for uh, permits that they're not using. It's impossible to use all the permits. And the exploration process takes so long. And I'm not an expert, but I've had experts on the air talking about this. The demonizing and acting as if somehow the oil companies are abusing the American people, I just think is the wrong approach. They have been at war with the oil companies. They have promised to decimate the oil companies and production of local pro- petroleum products, I mean, locally produced, you know, here in our country. And that's exactly what they've done from the first day this president took office. He went and got back in the Paris Climate Accord, brand new restrictions on the oil companies, shut down the Keystone Pipeline. In short order, they went after this industry again and again and again. They've gone after the financing of exploration. So the places where they get money to explore, they're going after the people that are financing those places. So there has been an assault on the oil companies. When the president says he's going after them and I'm calling out the people that aren't doing this or I'm calling out the people. People that aren't doing that. Well, you need to be called out as well. And again, I wish he I love the fact he said exactly what I've been saying. He should have said all along, which is in the short term, we need petroleum based products in the short term. We need petroleum based products. But in the long term. We have to be energy independent with clean energy. How many weeks ago did I say if he had said this, people would understand 
But unleashing all of this now, we'll see if it's too little too late. But if you're not going to take the handcuffs off of the oil companies and get us back to energy independence, we are still going to be beholden to people. Remember – of all of the avenues, if you if you disagree with what I'm saying, look at all of the avenues this administration explored before they did any of this. And they still aren't reducing their regulation. As a matter of fact, regulation is going to be increased if this budget plan that the president is proposing is passed in this Congress. It will be more restrictive on the oil companies when it comes to exploration and production. But before he said this, he reached out to the Iranians who said that if you get rid of all of the sanction against us, we will up production. He went to the Venezuelans. We're spending billions of dollars in Venezuela now trying to convince the Venezuelans to do this. He went to the Saudis. He went to the UAE who wouldn't take his phone call. He explored every avenue. And then when that wasn't working, they start demonizing the the uh, petroleum companies here, the oil companies in the U.S., demonizing them and making it sound like they're just profit taking. The oil companies have been on Capitol Hill. The oil companies have been talking and saying, you've got to let us do more producing. You have to reduce these these restrictions. We were at two dollars and thirty four cents, I believe is the number two dollars, thirty four cents a gallon on inauguration day. And then we were up over three dollars and almost four bucks a gallon when Putin invaded Ukraine. So there were things going on for that entire time that was driving up the price. The president said that that was being done because of the pandemic. And we all listen. You can say whatever you want with the demand. There was plenty of demand during the pandemic and pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic with the policies of the previous administration. We saw gasoline prices well under three dollars a gallon and the economy was going gangbusters then. 18 months after the Obama administration ended and the Trump administration began, we had the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. We had wages going up. So I'm not defending one administration over the other and the policies other than to say we've had a booming economy and low gas prices. Production didn't go up when demand went up because we are no longer energy independent and the OPEC nations have us, for lack of a better term, over a barrel. And that is where energy independence matters. So the president believes under the current circumstances, the oil companies are supposed to up production with all of the restrictions and everything they've done. If you want to turn loose the American people, I'm all for it. I think that is the way every great leader has ever fixed a problem. When you turn loose the entrepreneurial spirit of the American people. Let the oil companies produce oil the way they know how and stop with the restrictions. Rescind those restrictions and those executive orders for a short time. If you do that, then that will get us up and running faster. And he hasn't done it. And then he's doubled down and blamed the oil companies for it. He's starting a war between us and us versus them that is unnecessary. It is not the right path to take. We're going to do Did You Hear This in a few minutes. We do it every day at 1120 to get you caught up on the biggest news stories. We've got a news uh, news break coming up here, at least uh, an update coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, let's get you caught up. So much happening today. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. 
Well, Mike, you just spent a lot of time reacting to the president's speech on oil and gas policy. Uh, earlier this morning, you talked to Patrick DeHaan with Gas Buddy and asked uh, what we can expect to pay here at the pump in the coming weeks and months. I think we'll probably settle somewhere in the low $4 range, or at least I'm hopeful for that this summer. It's not impossible that we could see the upper threes. You know, if we can get through turnaround season at refineries, you know, it's not impossible that by later this year we could be back under $4 a gallon. Mike, based on what you just heard from the president, uh, are you optimistic we could fall under four or even lower? I, I don't know. And, and the, like the president said, is we no one can predict the future. How long does this happen with Russia? How long is it going to be affecting Europe, where we're having to offset some of their supply of things as well so it doesn't hurt Europe as much? All of that factors into it. I don't think that the policies of this administration are going to make it easier for the U.S. to be energy independent, which means we are going to have to rely on the rest of the world. So as long as we have to rely on the rest of the world, the answer to that is who knows? If we were able to be energy independent, it would be a lot more optimistic. But right now, we know that's not going to happen. New poll from OH Predictive Insights has President Biden's approval numbers in Arizona at an all-time low of 40%. Valley political expert Stan Barnes was on with Arizona's Morning News, said he expects to see Senator Mark Kelly distancing himself between himself and the president soon, just so he can win in November. And no doubt. He's going to do so on the border. Got to. He can't be reelected as a U.S. senator and be where Joe Biden is on our southern border. It's it's paralyzing for him. Do you expect Mark Kelly to come out strong against the president? I don't know if he'll come out strong against the president, but I think what he is going to do is he's going to focus on the areas where he's been vocal in disagreement when it comes to the border issues and things of that nature. And he will use the same platform, or I should say the, the same uh, model that Senator Sinema used, which is more about independence and less about Democrat. Not Democrat big D, but Democrat with a small D or maybe not at all. He'll talk about how he is fighting for Arizona and it's not going to be about party. You're listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to get you caught up on the major headlines. Governor Ducey yesterday peppered by reporters after signing several controversial bills into law. One of them outlaws doctors from performing abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy unless it's a medical emergency. One reporter uh, suggested women will start going to Mexico for an abortion. Do you feel like we're not leading? I, I'm pro-life and I'm going to sign pro-life legislation. But does it concern you that, you know, you talked about... The there's about there's, the civil there's no prohibition in Arizona and this puts us in the mainstream of other civil industrialized nations. Do you have a problem with Ducey's bill, and do you think more people will go to Mexico for abortions? I don't know if they will or if they won't. I will say that what we have always argued about when it comes to this, no matter where you say you stand on this, if you think about where Roe v. Wade and where all of these restrictions between, you know, differences in states, it all boils down to when life begins in your mind and what is reasonable. Because if it's not when life begins, it's whenever that baby is inside a woman's body, then everyone would be in favor of abortions up and until the moment of birth. And you know the vast majority of us look at that as infanticide. So in your mind, when does life begin? Making these early and earlier restrictions are based on a couple of things. Number one is because we understand that babies are able to be born earlier and earlier and survive because of medical technology. So in the hearts and minds of everyone out there, in their conscience, when does it become a human life? Because when you believe it's a human life, it deserves protection under the Constitution. It truly is not about making laws that restrict a woman's body, at least not in my point of view or any 
anybody I know. It is about protecting a human life. Just like we would protect that baby outside of the womb, we believe it's a human being and should be protected inside the womb. What this law states is it, it kind of strikes a balance, whether you like the balance or not, of saying abortion has not been made illegal, but we want to make sure that it's you know done as you know only when necessary in the minds of someone like medical emergency. But at 15 weeks, that doesn't sound unreasonable if you know you're pregnant for that to happen. And I know I understand myself included would wish abortion would go away, but not how can you argue about the the statement that we have all argued about when life begins? That's what we've done from the beginning, and that's what we're continuing to do. All right, big news out of Hollywood yesterday that had a lot of people kind of upset. From Pulp Fiction. Sin's dead, baby. Sin's dead. To Die Hard. Welcome to the party, pal. Bruce Willis has had some iconic on-screen roles, and now that run is coming to an end. His daughter, Rumor Willis, posting on Instagram that her father is stepping away from his career after recently being diagnosed with aphasia, which she says is affecting his cognitive abilities. Now, Die Hard is usually widely regarded as, you know, Bruce's big film. Uh, what would you say is another big one, or what was your favorite yeah. Bruce Willis film that's not named Die Hard? Well, I do not named Die Hard. Pulp Fiction's got to be one of them. you got to love him in Pulp Fiction. He was amazing in that movie. But I, I mentioned, I talked to Gatos about this this morning, the Red movies, Red and Red 2, where he's a retired spy and a retired operative, and the way that those movies play out. It's a comedy-slash-adventure movie. It's absolutely absurd, but everybody in it is hysterical, and I loved them. I love those two Red movies. They're two of my favorites as well. So it just how about yeah. the one uh, where he was a retired, like a hitman in Canada with Amanda P. Yeah, in the late nineties. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't was my called. favorite. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called either. But I, I remember that movie. Um, but it, well, yeah, he was the guy next door. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it, the Red movies. Have you seen them? I think I saw the first one. Oh my gosh, yeah. they're both really, really well done. So it's sad to hear that uh, Bruce Willis is kind of in the twilight of his career. It is. It is sad. Um, well, well, we're gonna, got money wants to pipe. pipe oh, in no, let's hear it. Nobody has said one word about moonlighting. Not one word. I, I didn't see it. I saw it. it oh, was the TV show, right? The TV series with Sybil yeah, Shepard. That's true. I never watched it. I I watched it. It was phenomenal, and he okay, he did a great job in the movies. But to me, when I think Bruce Willis, I will always think moonlighting. You know what's funny about Bruce Willis is he's got the unique ability to be an action hero, an action movie star, but he's also really funny. Yeah, it was a, that show was a kind of a slash comedy. It wasn't really a dramedy. It emphasized comedy more. Yeah. But he just came off, and he was not. They uh, a lot of people, including ABC, didn't want him for the role of David Addison. Wasn't it about? Wasn't that show about? Wasn't they? Weren't they an advertising agency? No, it was what? a detective agency. Detective agency. Sybil okay. Shepherd's character owned it. She her husband left her, and she basically got it. In a it was left with it, and Addison was the only employee. You know what's funny? I forgot. All about that show too until you mentioned you're right no one's mentioning it so i forgot all about that show great great show al jaro sang the theme it was just awesome now wasn't that but was that before or after he started making he did the diehard movies before way before, before. so that's kind of what he was him. an unknown when he got that role that's why abc didn't want him and then look at him now now he is right Wow, that's that's a great point, Jeff. That's yeah. So it's sad to see people lose. Um, you know, as they get older, that's you know. Hopefully, he's going to be okay health wise, but he's stepping away from his career. Um, what we are going to do in a moment is that we're going to go back to something earlier today. I talked about kind of the tone deafness with issues, and you're going to hear a little bit of this of a congresswoman talking to homeless people, and it's absolutely 
what she says is incredible. And um, I, I'm sure there's going to be some damage control. So we're going to get to that coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, a big congratulations to Brian Howard from Gilbert. He won $100 as part of our 100 Days of Giving as we turn 100 years old in June. Thanking the Valley for keeping us around for 100 years. It's been an honor to serve in this Valley, and it's an honor to be a part of that 100 years in my very small way. So we're giving away 100 bucks, and then giving you an opportunity for us to give another $100 to a charitable organization. Brian chose St. Mary's Food Bank, so they also received 100 bucks. If you want to be a part of this, just text the number 100 to 411923. That's 100 to 411923. All right, so let's go. Uh, let's talk about this, what I would call being tone deaf. I want you to hear a couple of things. Um, Maxine Waters, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, was doing a, an event for homelessness. And the homeless people showed up and they were upset that not enough was being done to end homelessness and serve the homeless community. Now, there's a point to this more than just the absurdity about what you're going to hear. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But first, I want you to hear the interaction. If this is not the epitome of tone deaf, I don't know what is. I want everybody to go home. And I want We don't got no home. That's why we here. I want everyone to go home. And that woman, I'm laughing because of the absurdity of the statement by Maxine Waters, not by the fact that this woman shouts out we 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 don't we ain't got no home. They don't have a place to live. I talked about this earlier, and the reason why I'm bringing it back up is because this is where politics and common sense are supposed to meet, but they don't normally. Just because I don't believe that the government should be trying to, especially the federal government, should not be trying to solve homelessness in the valley here in Arizona or any place else, does not mean that I don't care about homelessness. Anyone who's listened to the show, anybody knows me in my private life, I have a big concern about hunger and homelessness for very personal reasons. And so we what we should be getting rid of in a conversation if we're looking for solutions is these accusations back and forth that stop us from talking about the issue. You're going to accuse me of not caring about homelessness. And then I've got to defend myself and say this is why I do. And we spend more time arguing about the validity of my argument or whether I should have one than the validity of the argument itself. So here's the deal. Government by nature is a waste. And it's not a bad thing. It's by nature. They are wasteful. And everybody agrees on that. In every department of government, in the federal government, from the military to helping homeless people, there is redundancy and there is waste. Maxine Waters is a lawmaker. She is not someone that's serving on the front lines of homelessness. So if they're going to give grants or money, but you can't give grants or money without some kind of restrictions and rules and oversight, which we all understand is supposed to stop waste. But when you have a congresswoman who shows up at an event and then doesn't want to be spoken to, I want you to think about anybody else who deals with homeless people being as indignant with homeless people as she is. Would you would you donate? Honestly, would you donate to an organization that spoke to homeless people that way? You would say you don't care about the homeless. 
Of course they're upset. The woman's like, you're not helping us. There's another woman, and I'm not going to play it again, but there's another woman in these cuts where she's saying, please, just work with us to house these people. This is an example of a bigger a bigger ideology that I subscribe to about how we solve problems. The more locally we solve a problem, the more likely we are to A, have control of it, and B, solve the problem. We know that you're never going to cure homelessness, and we are not going to 100% cure hunger. But what we can do is dramatically reduce it. There are going to be people that do not want to get off the streets. There's no doubt about that. And there are people out there that are going to stay in that revolving door of homelessness. But if we focus on the people that genuinely want a way out, we can help them find a way out. I've seen it happen with St. Vincent de Paul. I've watched um, and I, I corresponded. I was actually corresponding with Marty Hames over at Circle the City today. The work that they are doing with homeless people and serving that community, yes, but also trying to end homelessness is what's important. When you talk about an organization that's serving the medical concerns and the needs of homeless people, it is something that is immensely important when you first start thinking about it. It's one thing to feed a homeless person. What happens when they have medical needs like the rest of us have? Where do they go? Where do they turn? Chemotherapy, radiation therapy, other medical needs that they have. I talked about COVID-19. Who is better equipped to go out on the streets and find a way to stop the massive spread of COVID-19 among the homeless community if it's not the people that work with the homeless community. When you look at hunger, St. Mary's Food Bank, United Food Bank, St. Vincent de Paul, you know that the largest commercial kitchen in the state of Arizona exists at St. Vincent de Paul downtown, that they serve thousands of meals across the state of Arizona, especially across the valley, every single day, either in their dining homes or delivering them to people's homes, every day. How much food has been given? You know, St. Mary's Food Bank is the original food bank, I believe, in the entire country. Started right here, and it's going strong now. The United Food Bank in the East Valley and the work they're doing with hungry families. The emergency food boxes that we packed at St. Mary's Food Bank and how it goes to families where they just pull up, it goes into the trunk, and they've got solid meals. They've got healthy food, and it's given to them on a regular basis, and all of them are seeing hunger increase. Do you want organizations that are going out and either purchasing food with money that's been donated or having food donated to them, and you watch how little waste, I mean how the minuscule amount of waste, whether it's in dollars or in food itself, those are the organizations that are going to solve the problem. Not not a government entity where waste is just the way it is. It's not even a negative. This isn't negative against the government. It's positive about the organizations that we are not empowering and turning loose in our communities. And there are things that the government can be involved in. But this should be locally controlled. Because there are amazing people out there from these organizations who have their finger on the pulse of the problem every day. Every day, they are dedicated people to solving this problem. And so this one, whether it there's two problems we're talking about, homelessness and hunger, and sometimes they're separate. A lot of times they're together, but sometimes they're separate. And there are many problems that are exactly the same way in our communities. 
whether it's drug addiction. There are people out there that are recovering addicts themselves that are out there with whether it's drugs or alcohol that are out there serving the community that are going to be a lot closer to ending these problems or or dramatically reducing them. And that's the way we should be looking. Government should be looking to the private sector, not the other way around as much. And when the government believes that they have to control everything and they're the solution to every problem, a good leader understands I'm not necessarily the solution to the problem, but I know someone that is. And those are the places we should be looking because those organizations that depend on the benevolence and the kindness of the community around them understand that there are a lot of very good and kind people in our community. But they're only going to stay that way as long as you are being good stewards of the money that they are donating. That's a different animal than how government works. So it isn't so much about being anti-government as it's pro-solution. And, and I, I encourage you, I encourage you to investigate any of the organizations that I just named, United Food Bank, St. Mary's Food Bank, um, St. Vincent de Paul, who I work so closely with, Circle the City, which works for the medical needs of homeless people. Go look into how efficient they are and go and talk to them and the dedicated people and how laser focused they are in dealing with the issues they face every day. And then you'll see why I'm such an advocate for them and not government solutions. The solutions right here under our nose for these problems, and we can be a part, an active part in those solutions and partnering with those organizations, which we do often. So anyway, that's my speech. I just looked at this story and I thought Maxine Waters is going to pay a price in the court of public opinion for making such a dumb statement, and she should. But it's also a symptom of a bigger problem that government's not the solution here. The solution's right under our nose. We just have to empower the people with the solution. Coming up in a moment, we're going to go back to what the president of the United States was talking about, let you hear a little bit more of his comments about what he wants to do about the rising gas prices in America. Will it work? We'll hear from experts as well. That's all coming up. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. A quick reminder, if you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, it's simple to do. You can do it now. Never miss a minute of the show. The Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you this week by my friend Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. Get the most most money selling your home for cash at highestprice.com. It's highestprice.com. So the President of the United States spoke about an hour ago and was talking about how he is going to how his policies are going to drive down gas prices short and long term what he wants to do about our problems as far as the gas prices because of what he called Putin's price hike. So I want you to hear a couple of things that he said. Number 1 about the releasing of 1 million barrels a day from the strategic reserve at least for the short term. The action I'm calling for will make a real difference over time. But the truth is, it takes months, not days, for companies to increase production. That's why the next part of my plan is so important. Today, I'm authorizing the release of one million barrels per day for the next six months. Ultimately, we and the whole world need to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels altogether. So Patrick DeHaan, who is the analyst over at Gas Buddy, he's been a frequent guest on the show and here at KTAR News for a while. I asked him about this. Are these plans, these are these long-term fixes? Probably is not a good long-term solution. Um, in fact, it may be counterproductive for a long-term solution simply because it puts more of the nation at risk if this conflict continues. This is not going to provide the meaningful relief that many Americans are hoping for. It may provide some measure of relief, maybe 10 to 25 cents. 
but we're still talking about prices that are going to be over $4 a gallon. So the indications are I want to I want to talk a little bit about the policies and in just having a long memory um gas prices were 230 something 234 230 something a gallon on inauguration day. So there is a reason why and people say well that was because of the pandemic. Well no no no, go back. If you go back historically and there are a lot of websites that will tell you exactly where the gas prices were. The gas prices fell to below $2.50 a gallon and $2 especially definitely under $3 a gallon for much of President Trump's term in office. The policies of energy independence and turning loose our fossil fuel industry is what drove down the price of oil internationally and ultimately the price of fuel, whether it's gasoline, diesel, fuel, heating oil, whatever it is. That's, it's hard to argue against that when you go and look how the prices have gone. The policies of this administration caused an increase. There is absolutely no doubt that what Vladimir Putin did also is the oil production and oil price around the world has been driven up partially because of the actions themselves and of the fears of other actions that might come. Because we know these commodities markets go also on fear or lack of it sometimes. So he made a comment. The president made a comment about energy independence. And I want you to hear him talk about it. But what does he say? Yes, a building a made in America clean energy future will help safeguard our national security. Yes, will help us tackle climate change. Yes, it's going to help us ensure that Americans create millions of good paying jobs for generations to come. So if clean energy independence is good for our national security, why isn't petroleum energy independence good for our national security? Because we understand whether you call it clean energy or whatever you want to call it, energy independence is good for our national security. And we need it now more than ever. So the president has a position that says the oil companies are responsible for a lot of this because they won't up production because they don't want the price of oil to go down because they're profit taking. That was in essence what he said today again. So you're demonizing the very industry that you're asking to work with you. You're setting up a battle with people that you are trying to get on your side. Bad idea. In the Biden budget, the Department of the Interior projected offshore oil and gas reserves, their lease revenue to decline by $395.5 million in fiscal year 2022 to just $25 million in 2023, a 94% year-over-year decrease according to the budget. Now, they're saying that's because they aren't going to sell any oil leases in fiscal year 2023, which doesn't end until September of 2023. So I want you to think about that. If the president is saying this is on the oil companies and the oil companies are saying it's the policies of your office that are restricting our ability to do our job and you're seeing in his new budget, they're not even putting any new oil leases and money for them in the Department of the Interior's budget. They are making it more restrictive. So we've gone to other nations. We've asked them to drill. They've either not taken the phone call or said no so far. So now we're going to go to the strategic reserve and then demonize the oil companies. I think it's a plan that's not going to work. It shouldn't build any confidence in the American people that we are going to see energy independence again. And I believe that's what's necessary more than anything else. 
for economic security and national security. All right, social media users, at Broomhead, KTAR on Twitter. That's where you find me. Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram. We can keep in touch between shows. We'll be back tomorrow morning beginning at about 8 a.m. I appreciate you spending some time today. Until tomorrow, God bless.